You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode 126 of DCAU Review. I am one of your two hosts, Cal. With me is our other host, my good brother, good friend, it's Liam. Liam, welcome to the first week of October of the longest year in human existence, <laughs> 2020, in the year of our Lord. Yes, the calendars do in fact say October, so I guess that's when it is. And here we are, a new month, and we are staying with what we covered last week for the entire month, that being another stay in the world of Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, uh, of course, it's all the same world. It's all the DCAU. We always say that. But when we change a series, we always say the world of. So if you're just tuning in, it's it's all the same world. We're not disputing that. And there's a lot of things actually in this week's episode that sort of confirm and uh, and bring in past series events. So And uh, actually future series events too. So lots of good things to talk about on this week's episode. Lee, I'm very excited to start a month of Justice League Unlimited with you. This is the show that we have reviewed the least amount of in the DCAU continuity. So good, uh, good times here, ready to, to start reviewing some of these episodes. And the one that we picked uh, to start out this month is, again, one that's sort of a linchpin for a huge storyline in which would be Justice League Unlimited Season 2, uh, the Cadmus, what's known as the Cadmus story arc. So we went with the sort of the opener to that, which started way back in season one here and that is fearful symmetry that's right it is an exciting episode with a lot as you mentioned a lot of connections to past episodes and future episodes but before we get there cal i of course must read the official imdb synopsis for this week's episode And this episode did originally air on the Cartoon Network back on September 4th, 2004. Liam, we, of course, just came out of the month of September. So that puts us a little over 16 years to the date. Uh, 16 years and like a couple days to the date of uh, when this originally aired on uh, on Toonami. That's right. And this is a synopsis for the episode Fearful Symmetry which was written by Stan Berkowitz and Robert Goodman, directed by Dan Reba, with music by Michael McQuistian and animation by the Dong Yang Animation Company. And that synopsis reads as such. Supergirl, Green Arrow, and The Question investigate Supergirl's disturbing dreams. They discover that Cadmus created a clone of Supergirl named Galatea while she was recovering from her fight against Superman on Earth. Mm, that one's a little clunky. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, the sentence structure was uh, let, let that one down. But that is a pretty. Uh, it's a. It's a poor. It's poorly. It's poor execution of a of a good attempt sure, at, a, sure. uh, at a at a synopsis. But yes, as we can uh, sort of jump into plot here. Yes, yeah, so this uh, directly plays off the events of the series finale of Superman in Legacy Parts One and Two. Supergirl is badly injured while she's fighting a brainwashed Superman. He takes her to Star Labs and demands Professor Hamilton treat her. And that's sort of uh, what we find out is the jumping off point for this entire shadowy 
government agency that we'll come to know as Cadmus, that this event uh, triggered triggered uh, them looking for their own superpowered weapons to stand up to the supermans of these world of of this world. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, uh, of course you can go back in the archives at dcaureview.com, and we did we did actually review Legacy Parts One and Two. Uh, so go back and check that out if you haven't done so. Uh, so that episode, obviously, yeah, that plays a huge role into sort of the the uh, ongoing story that we will we will encounter here, both in this first season of Justice League Unlimited and ultimately the entire Cadmus story arc. And that is that the the government really. Well, it's twofold. We learned that very quickly as we are introduced to <laughs> my favorite character from Justice League Unlimited. I think a lot of people's favorite character, uh, that being the question. Uh, so old Vic, Vic Sage is is introduced to the DCAU and he's quickly revealed to... Liam, I didn't realize that the Q and QAnon stood for the question. <laughs> um, but this guy, this guy has a conspiracy theory for everything. And it's all... Well, it's, it's a single conspiracy theory, as he so eloquently puts it. You've been to Star Labs, treated for injuries there. Yeah, a few years ago, when Superman was brainwashed and attacked the Earth... I got hurt, and he took me to Star for help. I was in a coma for part of it. Meaning there's a gap in time you can't account for. That's when. Okay, enough. Don't listen to this guy. Everything's conspiracies with him. Not conspiracies. Conspiracy. Singular. Reaching back to ancient Egypt, there's been a single cabal of powerful individuals directing the course of human history. But the common man prefers to believe they don't exist, which aids their success. Global warming... Military upheavals in the third world, actors elected to public office. The spread of coffee bars, germs outpacing antibiotics, and boy bands? Come on, who would gain from all this? Who indeed? Uh, everything is linked back to one one thing, and that is the the power. Those who are in power want to stay in power and are in charge of basically every major thing that happens, good or bad, major or minor trends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but he, from the start, here believes that the government <laughs> has some sort of role to play into it, and they uh, they actually go and visit. Uh, General Hardcastle, who also played a role in that same episode, Legacy, he was sort of leading the uh, U.S. government's attempt to try and rein Superman in uh, once he uh, led his attack to Earth. So uh we we uh we quickly realized though that the government is in cahoots with big business all designed to not only uh create their own metahumans but also for defense but also for profit as well which has no real world implications at all and uh we cannot relate to when it comes to anything just another light fluffy superhero kids cartoon topic you know <laughs> The military-industrial complex, uh, the role corporations play in making our world demonstrably worse. Just nothing, nothing, you know, that an eight-year-old couldn't handle uh, <laughs> here this week. But yes, this is, uh, this, this, is, uh, this plays into a lot of, yes, real-world stuff, um, which obviously is something they wanted to sort of address. This was obviously, uh, you know, 2004 and probably written the year before that, so... This was very much, I think, at the at the height of uh, the uh, Iraq War, uh, and sort of that there a lot. There was a lot of discussion at that point as as the roles of private industry in the in in the 
manufacturing uh, weapons of war and stuff like that. And so if you take those real world problems and blow them up to superhero proportions, we in fact have the military and these private corporations coming together to create uh, literal super soldiers uh, in this case. And the sort of way this mystery is, is set up is uh, we open with Supergirl apparently attacking this this man, we don't go, know much about who he is. She's sort of attacked by these soldiers and it appears that she murders him and then she sort of jumps awake in her bed and you realize it was just a nightmare uh, and she's, she's very uneasy because these don't feel like regular dreams to her. She's sort of given the runaround by, you know, Martian Manhunter's not able to help her. She goes and talks to Star Labs, uh, to Professor Hamilton, who assures her there's no way that anyone that she was uh, there's, there's no time accounted for where she could have been off doing these terrible things uh, without anyone knowing. And, and that perhaps this is just sort of this psychological break she had as a result of being so physically vulnerable during the, uh, the events of legacy. And uh, maybe she would have bought that if not five seconds later, <laughs> uh, a group of soldiers and a, prototype Zeta robot didn't uh, show up to attack them right as they were walking out of star labs. Not exactly the best way to keep your conspiracies under wraps. Yeah. Like who, who thought that that was a good idea, but I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess that the, the conversation or the, the thought process would be, and it, to me, it makes sense because the, certainly the star labs uh, people are not the ones that are in charge of the conspiracy, the conspiracy that's happening. They're not the ones in charge of trying to clone Supergirl. They're just sort of a part of it. Mm -hmm. And those that are in charge tend to be those that, are more headstrong and more maybe not as smart, I guess. Like they're smart enough to create a giant like conspiracy like this or not a conspiracy, but a a giant plan like this, but maybe not as smart to realize that killing, killing somebody isn't the way to the best way or the most effective (laughs) way, especially when they're, you're attempting to kill a pretty, pretty much invulnerable metahuman i was gonna say and it's supergirl like it's not it's not like you're trying to kill no offense but like buana beast or the crimson fox here like right people are gonna notice if supergirl is killed by a robot in the middle of uh, you know or in metropolis at star labs like that's gonna get that's gonna get a lot more attention on you probably from superman and the rest of the justice league that you're trying to avoid uh if if that goes i mean my feeling was from a plot standpoint it was just we need an action beat Sure. Otherwise, there's really no other other than Kara's dreams. And then the final fight at the end between uh, Supergirl and Galatea, there's not much action to this episode. And it felt to me they were like, this is a children's cartoon about superheroes. We need to have them punch something for a minute. That's fair enough. I think I think that that makes a lot of sense when you say it, for sure. Yes. Trying to explain it away within the context of the episode was my my way of of saying that. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I guess if these guys are headstrong and they just see death as the only way, is the is their only out. But within the context of why the plot itself, which is what we do here when we're breaking this down, is like why did the, they choose to do this with the plot? <laughs> well, yes, it's probably because it otherwise would have been somewhat of a very boring episode, despite the fact that we're dealing with these heavier deeper plot points here yes it is still a 22 minute kids cartoon that is is marketed towards children so we need to have punching we need to have fists we need to have explosions and robots 
That's right. So yeah, that's that was my explanation for it. But as you mentioned, Cal, they they go and meet this General Hardcastle who's now retired and sort of living out in the middle of nowhere and he's he's very paranoid about them sending someone to 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 shut him up because he knows too much he talks about how he was forced into retirement uh after superman attacked because he was looked at as the guy who failed to protect the world um and so they and during this conversation we actually get a couple of cool nods i think things we sort of talked about when we recovered those episodes but he mentions that Volcana, uh, previously seen in the Superman episode, Where There's Smoke, which we also covered, which you can find in the archives, um, and as well as the Royal Flush Gang from the uh, Joker episode, Wild Cards of Justice League, were also sort of uh, somehow tangentially related to this, this giant government conspiracy. So we get some more confirmation. I think that was that was maybe sort of spec. I I always thought that was like retroactive speculation. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't quite remember that Eiling literally just spells out that yes these these previous uh, run-ins that the Justice League had had with these sort of shadowy government agency were all sort of connected uh, in some in some sort of way. So I thought that was cool. And then from there we actually get our first look at Galatea and the episode as she shows up to murder him. <laughs> to murder the general. Um, and which I, I, also, I almost thought that was very cavalier also because like they then cut to Kara like who has fallen asleep in the questions uh, quarters while uh, he and Green Arrow were arguing and then she like darts away because she's like Eiling's gone. And then they just kind of move on. Uh, Hardcastle. Hardcastle. Eiling's a a different uh, general that comes in later. But uh, yeah, Hardcastle's gone. And then they just kind of move on. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's multiple deaths in this episode. And that's another thing that's very different compared to what we've seen in past uh, iterations of the DCAU here. We have, uh, obviously they still didn't show it, but there's confirmation that there's multiple deaths. There's a, the, the opening scene that uh, sort of has, we find out is, is merely Supergirl's uh, psychic link to Galatea shows Galatea hunting down and killing uh, this guy that works for, or that worked for the company that's responsible sort of for doing the cloning and, and DNA uh, manipulation that eventually created Galatea. So uh, yeah, multiple deaths in this episode. And uh, one of them that, that, that first one, there's a little bit of, of terror to it. They, they you just hear uh super or well, Galatea's uh, heat vision go on. And then you hear a, a blood curling scream and, You can scream now if you want. Yeah. Then you then, uh, but for Hardcastle, he yeah he just had a had sort of a quiet off-screen death. So. Yeah, but uh, as you mentioned, the body count kind of rolls up from there, and from there they there's a news report that comes up uh, alerting them to the death of this. Uh, this this man that that uh, Kara had had the dream about, uh, Gilbert Hailstrom, who worked for this corporation called Nuvogen, and so Green Arrow and Kara go to deal with or go to investigate the company. While the question, who of course is always uh, you know in his own little world, but in some ways one step ahead of everyone else, decides he has to go shake down the reporter who who broke this story because he notices that only one network has the story. And as we find out through some other 
sort of ancillary dialogue that the this this guy Gilbert didn't have any family to report him missing. So uh, we find out, I guess, that this reporter was was dating Galatea, and therefore she uh, she let him she let him in on on the scoop, which he then reported and. So that's the quest. So that sort of leads to our our finale, where it's Superman and Green Arrow fighting Galatea in what is, I guess, essentially the danger room from X Men. Yeah, that's what I wrote down too. It's yeah, it's light. He said hard light constructs, which I thought maybe is a little bit of a nod to to Lightner from the yeah, Superman episode. Luminous, yeah which we have not covered yet, obviously, for, for good reason, um, <laughs> because those episodes are the bane of my existence. But uh, yes, uh, so it, there's, there's a battle that, ins- that ensues, and there's something interesting. So I, I guess thinking about it, it's like, well, why would, why would Galatea leak this information to the, to the reporter knowing full well that he's going to eventually report on it? And this sort of leads her to this battle between between supergirl or leads supergirl to this facility and ultimately it's because she wanted a final showdown with her so that she could kill kara yeah they actually do a good job and that's sort of the questions putting this final piece of the mystery together of of why this this sort of the breadcrumbs had been laid down there and it's it's all due to uh the fact that yes she while kara has been sort of living with this guilt and having these incredible dreams of, of Galatea's, uh, Galatea's uh, murders, for lack of a better uh, term, uh, Galatea was beginning to feel Kara's conscience. Who do you work for? Really? At the top? Even I don't know that. But I do know I can't work in secret if you keep seeing what I do. So, sayonara, sister. That's not the only reason, is it? You were setting up this bait even before Supergirl started asking questions. It's because the link works both ways, doesn't it? While she was seeing what you were doing, you were feeling her conscience. That's why you couldn't sleep at night. And I bet it got in the way of your work. It bites having someone in your head, doesn't it? You don't know what you're talking about. No. Prove it. Kill me. It was sort of getting in the way of her, of her ability to do her job. So she's decided that she has to eliminate uh, the original Supergirl to get, so that she can get back to work there. Which uh, I mean, that's that's at least they justified it, right? At least they they explained why they would do something that would so obviously lead it back to them. I appreciate that. But uh, so yeah, that that leads us to our final showdown. There's kind of a big fight in in this empty hologram city, and. Uh, question sort of dares Galatea to kill him to prove that this that she's really not feeling any guilt or or doubt and and she can't quite do it but before we can have a true resolution to this fight uh, a mysterious shadowy figure uh, presses a button and the whole room blows up the whole building blows up and and Supergirl has to carry Green Arrow and the question out so we're sort of left with this an, uh, this sort of unclear ending, or so it seems, as we're not sure if she, Galatea survives. But uh, Professor Hamilton, uh, good guy Professor Hamilton, assures, assures Kara that there's absolutely no way that her DNA could have come from when she was at Star Labs. Uh, 
only to end with, of course, the reveal that he's a big, big liar and that he has, in fact, uh, is responsible for at least helping to clone Supergirl. And uh, there's sort of an implication that there's a sort of fatherly bond with with this Galatea as the episode ends. But it's a it's a really it's a good, interesting. It's not a total cliffhanger where you need the follow up right away, but it's definitely letting you know that we're uh, we're not done with this story. Not uh, not by a long shot. Yeah, I it's it, like you said, it, it sort of just lays the groundwork. It follows up some stuff from from past DCAU stuff and then lays the groundwork for stuff that's going to be important later on uh, coming up in season two of JLU. So, uh, yeah, good, good stuff there. I will just say um, we didn't we sort of mentioned him in passing, but uh, there's well, both of them in, in passing. But there's two two characters that play the supportive support sort of supporting cast here to to Kara Supergirl that being of course Green Arrow and the question mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. both of those guys uh playing second fiddle to Supergirl I thought was was pretty awesome because you know Supergirl's a character that we're familiar with but it, it allows you to sort of get to know them a little bit and, uh, certainly introducing the question uh, as a supporting character and then later on he would get his you know a couple episodes to star in that that are fantastic but that's one thing that I thought that this series did well, which was, you know, in, in introducing characters, sometimes there are episodes that they decided to have brand new characters uh, show up and they're the, they're the ones that are sort of the torchbearers and are forced to sort of carry the episode. And you're in those ones. uh, I can't speak for all of them, obviously, because we haven't, haven't reviewed all of them, but there are some of them that that's okay. But there are other ones where it's like, uh, I I don't know. I would have liked to have gotten to know this character a little bit more. I like, do I, do I care about this character? Mm-hmm. Or what are the reasons why I should care about these, this character or the, the characters that are featured. Um, but I felt like having, obviously we already got to know green arrow a little bit through initiation, um, which you can hear our review of that in the archives as well. But uh, bringing in the question this way to allow him to sort of be a, in a supporting role. And, but also you sort of flesh out the character a little bit. Uh, what did you, what did you think of their, their use of both of the arrow and the question? Yeah, I think it makes sense because you're you're sort of following up on the, the Green Arrow Supergirl friendship that was established in the first episode initiation. And then you introduce this question character who I mean they they he just sort of walks into the screen and I and I love it because yes, if you know the the question from the comics, especially like uh you know the the Steve Ditko era or certainly some of the the later like Dennis Cowan work with where he's just becomes this sort of more and more unhinged and, and, and create and not, you know, seemingly crazy, but of course in his mind, it's all, it's all connected somehow. Uh, uh, It's cool to see that character brought in. And then these sort of, you know, green arrow and Supergirl who have sort of developed this bond dealing with this new element being thrown in rather than it being, you know, green lantern again, or captain Adam or somebody that we already saw, uh, or booster or somebody to actually have it be this uh, this to have a new character sort of be introduced there and to be given him such a you understand who he is almost as soon as as he, as he walks into the room and then throughout the episode again you know Green Arrow is sort of exasperated by him and how he's how he's so he's so convinced that it must be this conspiracy theory and and everything and and then of course he turns out to kind of be right in the end and that's <laughs> and, that's, and that's sort of the best part of it is that he's uh he's proven right in the end and and he he has sort of stumbled onto this larger conspiracy even if it isn't maybe exactly what he thought it was he has in fact stumbled onto it and 
you know, the craziest out there theory at this point at the start of the episode turns out to be the correct one. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we give our scores here, uh, any thoughts on the fact that Green Arrow is a giant perv? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. He's, I mean, he's still creeping on Black Canary, which we saw in the first episode. Um, What's the big deal? You had some nightmares. These weren't just dreams. They felt like they really happened. Well, I don't know. I've had some dreams that felt mighty real. There was this one the other night. And then he's also, yes, he like a weird comment about uh, how... <laughs> Galatea is what what do you say like more developed than Kara or something slightly like that? more developed yes yes so he's got a he's got a he's got to work on that that's <laughs> he would definitely be canceled in 2020 I'm just right gonna, that's I'm right just gonna throw that out there uh, all right so uh, I've got time that we give our final scores here Liam for this week's episode uh, giving everything that we said here knowing obviously we this is one of those episodes where we, where we the benefit of foresight, knowing what's to come, knowing what this sets up, what this has established, knowing that there's more questioning goodness to come for me <laughs> because of my love for this character and the way that Justice League Unlimited portrayed him uh, so accurately to the comics. Uh, I went ahead and gave Plot a very strong 8 out of 10. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm right in that same ballpark. I believe I also gave it an 8 out of 10. And yeah, I think it's really strong. The only other minor thing that I had, and I kind of just let it go because it's comics, but and or cartoons in this case, but they don't really explain why, like why because she was a clone, they have this psychic link. Like, yeah, Kryptonians don't have psychic powers, so far as we know. And it's not like Superman has dreams where he sees like himself doing what Bizarro does, does he? No, not that we know of anyway. So like, I don't, I like, it's fine. Okay. They have a psychic link because she was cloned from Kara. All right. But like, why? That's, that was kind of my only other thing. Like, I think the score maybe would have been higher, but that sort of basic premise of the episode, I thought was like a little, just a little, like a little under explained for like, if we found out later that like, I don't know. They psychically took like a, you know, some evil mind controlling villain, like psychically took all of Supergirl's memories to put into the brain of, of Galatea or something. I guess I could go with it that way. But as far as we know, that didn't happen. She's just a clone. And for right. some reason they can see what each other are is doing and feeling. So yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. Like I said, I still really enjoyed it. It's a good like first step on this long winding Cadmus road. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's like I said, still very strong. But yeah, definitely had some things I can uh, I can nitpick here for sure. And that's like we always say, that is what we do here. <laughs> yeah, that's why we didn't give it a ten out of ten. So, all right, Liam, let us move on to visuals and animation, shall we? Uh, we have uh, some interesting things again. Some new characters here that were introduced. You already mentioned Galatea, who obviously uh, that's that's the main thing. Well, one of the main things I think we can talk about is certainly Galatea, who is the DCAU version of Power Girl, especially based on her costume at least uh what did you think of this how do you feel about them sort of using a sort of a classic dc hero more of as a a a villain here and and her look overall i mean yeah this feels similar to before they in the final season of jlu introduced a real hawkman (laughs) uh similar to the hrotalic character from starcross where you take sort of the archetype and the look of a of a heroic character and sort of recast him as a villain 
Um, and in this case with, yeah, it's, it's sort of a power, power girls uh, origins in the comic books are very confusing and have changed a lot over the years. Sometimes she's from a parallel earth where she's that, that world Supergirl. Sometimes she's like her completely own original thing. And uh, there's probably three or four other versions of her that I'm forgetting, but yeah, so sort of combining some different elements uh, Cadmus and cloning in the comics was sort of where we got Superboy, uh, the Connor Kent Superboy character. So it's also, I think, a little, it can be a little bit of a riff on that of Cadmus sort of being responsible for cloning a Kryptonian. So yeah, like I said, it's it's not your traditional character, but it's it clearly has influences from that, certainly in her outfit and and uh, haircut and things like that. So yeah, I, I thought it was it was a cool way to do that character because yeah, there wouldn't really be a way to do i think a traditional power girl in in these books uh because we never really do like a traditional earth two justice society type world that they go to other than sort of the justice guild world and um so yeah i i, I was fine with this sort of being for all intents and purposes the uh, the dcau version of that character yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think that that's one of the, the things that DCAU is kind of known for. What they can do is they can take a, an established character from the standard continuity or DC Comics continuity and put their own spin on it. And yeah, we've, like you said, we've seen this before with the first iteration of Hawkman. And uh, we also have, of course, uh, the introduction, as we've already stated a couple of times, of The Question, who has a very similar look to his original sort of Steve Ditko look uh from uh from his original appearance he's got the blue suit uh, he does have a pretty cool uh like duster that goes over his standard blue suit and he's got a black mm-hmm. tie instead of a, a and a yellow shirt instead of a red tie and a or a yellow tie and a red shirt so a couple of minor changes there but this is kind of uh standard for what the character ended up looking like going forward i think in dc comics continuity so another one of those things that took from the past changed it a little bit and then was eventually adapted at least for a little bit into the uh, standard continuity there any thoughts on on the look of the faceless man yeah to me this is just one of those archetypal like classic dcau designs where you you just take sort of a more you know, the, the classic version of the characters and you don't try to reinvent the wheel with it. You just adapt it into that style. And I, I think they did a great job with that. And I, I love the scene where uh, he's posing as the reporter's taxi cab driver. And uh, as he turns on a, I guess a fake Britney Spears song or something to annoy the reporter. And then you see again, sort of a very classic thing where he's out of his costume and then there's sort of this strange gas that that comes up and and when the gas sort of clears he's he's put on the mask and it's turned into the question commodore hotel something wrong gotta write up my fare report so what do you think of that corporate prepackaged pop kids like these days hate it mm. Hey, I just said. I thought that sequence was really cool. And yeah, I really thought they nailed uh, almost everything about him. Even like the way he walks, he's always kind of, he's hunched a little bit and he has his hands in his pockets when he's just kind of strolling through most of the scenes. 
Uh, like I thought, yeah, I thought, uh, and uh, certainly we'll get to it in voice acting as well, but I, I thought they really nailed almost every aspect of, of this character right off the bat. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the drawing, the, even him in his, his Vic Sage, uh, you know, persona looks very much like the Steve Ditko uh, drawings that, that you, if you, you know, just Google Steve Ditko, the question, you'll see some covers that he did and st- stays very true to that character design. So uh, really, really cool to, to see that. I, I think it's also, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that. A, well, I will talk more about, about his, uh, the question in voice, voice acting, I'm sure in just a little bit when we get to that. But uh, of course you already mentioned the Zeta robots make an appearance here, mm-hmm. a cool little sort of retroactive Easter egg there. Where we hear about the Z8 project and see these robots, uh, in in use here uh, by the government, uh, and that there's a I guess that project from General Hardcastle really uh, really stuck with the government because they use it uh, 25 to 30 years later. There's very similar robot models there. That's right. Yeah, they didn't they didn't update it too much between uh, at least from a cosmetic standpoint. I will say also another uh, another funny question moment is uh, you mentioned as he's transforming uh, from Vic Sage in front of the taxi cab, he t- turns on this. Uh, he, he, one of his conspiracy theories is that boy bands and, 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 uh, and <laughs> I, I guess whatever you would call Britney Spears pop, uh, are all a part of a government conspiracy also. So he, he turns this on as he transforms into the question. And then later on, uh, after, <laughs> after the arrow or green arrow and, and, and Supergirl are already fighting Galatea in the, the danger room substitute, uh, he, he finds his way to the, the laboratory and, has a moment where he's looking at the lock and he's sort of humming this song and then he steps away out of frame and he comes back with a giant plant and just hurls it through <laughs> the glass of the building. Fell in love again. What am I gonna tell my friends? It just happened. You walked in my door and now I don't wanna be alone no more. Oops, I've done it. Told you how I feel. Just hope this time that I love is real. Just while just continuing to sing this song, and it's just it's just a great moment. It's it's awesome because especially it's set up earlier with the uh, with Oliver sneaking in in like a security guard outfit, uh, and uh, and Supergirl using her super speed to to run into the door before it closes behind him and. They're like that's all this like secret spy stuff, and then yeah, the question shows up and just hurls a, a potted plant through the through the door and, and sets off the alarms. He walks in. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah, like I said, they really I thought they really nailed like uh, yeah, even the the physicality. Even though he's not again, there is that sequence where while Supergirl is fighting the Zeta robot, uh, Green Arrow and, and the question are sort of dealing with the the foot soldiers, and there's some cool bits in there where. Like the the question is sort of giving direction to uh, to Green Arrow and uh, Green Arrow shoots off like a we get some cool trick arrows he has like a smoke bomb arrow and some exploding arrows and stuff in here so you get some you know more more cool Green Arrow tricks as as well as as the question being this sort of weird physical character where spot where like one of the soldiers drops down and as the other guy goes to check on him a, a belt of grenades drop and the pins drop after him and. And they're sort of running away from these explosions. So yeah, they they do some pretty uh, some pretty creative stuff. Even though the the action is limited in this episode, there's still some pretty darn cool uh, visual notes there. 
Well, that will lead me to my point of why I ended up giving this the score that I did for visuals. So yeah, there isn't a ton of action. As you said, it's very backlog. There's a lot towards the end of the episode. Obviously, the battle between Kara and Galatea uh, is certainly impressive. It's it would it's it would not be out of place on certainly on a Superman the Animated Series episode, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a lost episode some way. So it was good to get that familiarity back of sort of a, a in-flight battle between two powerhouses but knowing that it's sort of there's no stakes because it's all hard light objects it's not really in the city so there's a lot of destruction happening but it's really not really destruction it's just kind of happening um but uh because it's sort of all 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 of the visual and visually interesting things to me happened during that battle there were a couple of things that stood out to me and sort of like a big sore thumb. And I bet you I can guess, get, yeah, I, you could guess what I'm talking about. Um, I'll let you, I'll let you take the, uh, I'll let you take the lead on this one. I know there's some, some minor things I noticed, uh, like some in, in, uh, inconsistent eye colors and things like that, but I'm sure you have a uh, bigger, bigger axes to grind than that. I do. And that would be the, Awful, terrible, no good CGI that was used oh, yeah. there's, there's for this rough. episode. Inexplicably, I will say. Like, I do not understand the point or the need to use it. And let me just say, yes, this is a 16-year-old cartoon. But as we mentioned last week, in last week's episode, where we talked a little bit of CGI that was used uh, in certain scenes uh, when we reviewed The Return, there is CGI used in this episode and it's a lot more than I think in a normal episode and it does not hold up. It is a, it is quite clearly (laughs) just like 2004. Like it's not even 2004 CGI. It's like PlayStation. It's like PlayStation one. Like (laughs) it's bad. It's bad, bad CGI. There's it stands out like a sore thumb. It doesn't blend in at all. And it, it it seemed superfluous. I didn't understand why did they feel the need to make this robot a CGI robot? Was there anything that it did that was ter- too terrible? I mean, they're already doing digital animation. So is it something that is too terribly hard to animate a, a certain movement? It's not in the scene for that. I mean, it's not like they use it, they use it twice in two different scenes, but only one scene doesn't really move around a lot. And then there's more CGI used in that sort of mid-episode army attack on the question green arrow and and supergirl where the helicopters fly in and their cgi for some reason it's just bad yeah i noticed it especially on the on the helicopters i thought that looked looked pretty rough it's funny because yeah like the 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 drone uh operating uh robot as you mentioned that we see a couple times that was apparently used to operate on supergirl uh and then later used as a weapon by this man that uh, Galatea kills. Like it's, yeah, it's CGI when it sort of appears, but then like when the arm juts out and grabs what, as we see in the dream sequence is Supergirl's arm. Like, I don't think the arm at that point is CGI and it looks fine. But then, yeah, when it cuts back to just the, uh, just this, this robot, it's back to being CGI. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't look good. And even later in, in the episode when one of the buildings is, is sort of falling in the background as the question enters into this danger room type facility, 
it's it's sort of it's not animated at all it looks like they just took like a a painted you know a still image of a building and just kind of slowly turned it on its side as it's falling so yeah there's uh, but yeah, I would definitely say the CGI is is pretty noticeable. I, I I had neglected to mention that in my notes, but as soon as you said it, I I thought about yeah that last shot, especially after after Green Arrow blows up one of the helicopters and the second helicopter is flying away with uh, the soldiers getting away. It's 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 pretty it's pretty darn noticeable in a way that. Yeah, I didn't think it was that bad last week. And I don't know if that's well as in the dark of space so you can hide more with shadows and stuff. We've talked about that uh, in a lot of different ways in animation over the years. But for whatever reason, yeah, these uh, they uh, it, it was just not a it was not their best foot forward as far as the CGI uh, vehicles and other things went this week. Yeah, it was it was bad. The helicopters themselves, it was just like, oh, this is this is gross. Why did they do this? <laughs> why did they ruin this perfect? Like, why did they decide to introduce this? That's that's a question. If, if I ever one of the many questions I would have for Bruce Tim or James mm-hmm. Tucker or any of these any of the people that were sort of responsible for these decisions, like, why did you guys choose to include the CGI? It dates it dates it so badly on a on a cartoon that. Uh, a series that otherwise uh, across all the the cartoons that otherwise holds up pretty well yeah definitely um you know like i said it's still there's still fun visuals but because there's not a lot of action and because of some wonkier cgi and then like a few other things like i mentioned there's some inconsistency with like uh, galatea's eye color and thing like things like that um, I, I gave visuals a, a still pretty strong but uh, definitely lower than maybe it otherwise would have been uh, seven out of ten all right, I'm two ticks lower on than that. I went five out of ten just because this. Wow. Yeah, the CGI just took me out of it, man. Like, and there's just there's not enough. If there had been enough redeeming action, like last week we mentioned it in passing. We definitely mentioned that when we reviewed Initiation, uh, there was some CGI used in that, but there was enough visual like standard digital animation that that sort of while those things stood out and maybe I wasn't a fan of them it there was enough action and enough stuff that sort of carried the episode in other places in this case i don't feel like it did that yeah that's fair because obviously a lot of the like the fighter ships and stuff in uh in star crossed are also are also cgi and they didn't look nearly as bad as as these these helicopters and some of this other stuff looked in this one so yeah, it's it's yeah that that I think you said it best when you said it it ages the show in a way that the rest of the animation does not. Yep, absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category here, which is going to be music. Uh, so I believe you said is Christopher Carter responsible this week? It's uh, Michael McQuestion. I, I always want to give Christopher Carter the the uh, the credit, and it's always Michael McQuestion. So. <laughs> Uh, well, but, well, those two, along with uh, Lolita Romanis, uh, later went on to f- to form the uh, Dynamic Music Partners group. So, you know, they're all they're they're all uh, of similar sensibilities. I think uh, they they work together quite often. So, sure. What did you uh, What did you feel feel about music this week? Uh, I didn't have a lot of notes on music. There's you got your again. It's Justice League Unlimited, so we have uh, electric guitar, whether we want or need it or not. <laughs> um, a lot of that sort of punctuates the action scenes, and it does give it a certain flair to it. 
Um, the only other no, no, no moments I really noticed were this, there's sort of this light p- eerie piano music that plays a few times. I think when the question sort of first walks up and is talking about, uh, you know, conspiracies and, and, uh, and, and repressed memories and things. And I think again, in the, the general Eiling scene, and then even a little bit again at the end as, as, uh, professor Hamilton is, is looking over the, uh, the, the not quite, uh, dead body of, of Galatea. So yeah, that, those were kind of my only notes was we have our, we have our sort of regular JLU rock music, and then we have some sort of light eerie, uh, piano music thrown in there. Uh, what about you? Yeah, um, I I felt like it was more akin, and that rock music uh, was more akin to a Batman Beyond episode, um, which felt wrong because it's not Batman Beyond that we're watching, (laughs) Um, especially the music that's played during that final battle between Galatea and Supergirl. The music, I mean, it's just, it's sort of filler rock that you would hear in a battle between Terry McGinnis and whatever villain he's fighting that week. It's just very guitar heavy and there was i mean there's a little bit of like justice league unlimited that there's a specific guitar guitar sound that they use that sort of is mixed in with that that sort of sets it apart but a lot of it is just sort of a rhythmic guitar that you would hear like i said on on beyond so um i also felt like they missed the opportunity i didn't hear it unless i unless i missed it completely i didn't hear the green arrow theme uh no nor the uh the super i don't know if they ever bring back the supergirl theme from uh little girl lost we talked about it they tended to bring back a lot of those themes like the green lantern themes or superman or batman obviously um but yeah they there there was a lack of sort of that usual musical continuity that we have in the in in those pieces so yeah that was that yeah the, the green arrow theme though especially is is sort of one of the more iconic pieces of music i think to come out of jlu and not really having it at all here, especially because there are, you know, some action beats. Obviously he's not the main focus of this episode like he was in, in initiation, but there's still, you know, certainly several times where it could have come in when certainly when he and the question are fighting the, uh, the soldiers or near the end when he sort of tries to tries in vain to attack Galatea to, to give Supergirl a moment uh, of, of rest. Yeah. They, they could have brought that in. So uh, like I said, I don't think the music is particularly offensive, but I, I did think there was a lot there other than the couple notes I mentioned there. So I, uh, I just went with the, uh, the old standby, the old, uh, old faithful five out of 10 for music this week. Same. Absolutely. It's not, it is not offensive. There is nothing that is distracting other than it feeling a little bit out of, out of place at, at times. But like I said, there was enough sort of infusion of the JLU guitar ish to go with that rhythmic Batman beyond guitar. That was, all right, I'm, I'm not going to deduct a point for this, but oh, sure. yeah, it, fe- it felt, felt like a couple missed opportunities for some returning themes that we said is, in the past, we've definitely rewarded episodes, even just last week, and bringing back the the Green Lantern theme uh, mm-hmm. in the return. And you know, even, I think even with this, if you had sort of used that Supergirl theme that they that they established in Little Girl Lost, you have the opportunity to play it a little bit more devious, or you know, mm-hmm. a little bit uh, a little bit more subtly uh, out of key or uh, in a minor key when Galatea is on the, on the screen. And then ultimately when you have Supergirl there, uh, you know, play it in full, full bore, but yeah, they, they just kind of decided to go with nothing or, or just, just standard <laughs> scene setting music. 
Yeah, like yeah, I yeah I, I agree with that completely. I think it's 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 fine, but uh, it, you know, with a few other little flourishes there, it, it could have been a, a little bit more uh, memorable at the very least. Absolutely. All right, Wayne. Let's move on to our final category of the day. That, of course, is going to be voice acting. Let's talk about this week's voice cast. Yeah, we got a, a pretty big one. Um, most mostly returning uh, actors, but we do have a couple new ones. We have. Briefly, we have Carl Lumbly as Martian Manhunter, the only one of our original seven really on display here. Although I guess we do see Wonder Woman and Flash in the background on like on John's monitor, monitor in a scene. True. Um, but we have, yeah, as, as we mentioned, this episode really focuses on these three members, that being Nicole Tom as Supergirl and of course also voicing uh, her older self and her clone Galatea. We have uh, Ken Schreiner as Green Arrow. And uh, for the first time, we get to talk about him in this role, at least. We have Jeffrey Chromes as the question. And my goodness, this is, you know, we, we, sing, we, we will never stop singing the praises of Andrea Romano as a, a voice caster and voice director. But what, what an inspired choice. Uh, obviously, he, he worked as the Scarecrow in the new Batman adventures. But to, to find just the perfect voice for this character, as we mentioned from the script to the way he walks and moves and, and acts in the episode, they really could not have found, in my opinion, a more perfect voice for the question than Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, I think we talk about it a lot when we are, um, when we're, we're talking about these heroes, you know, when you read a comic book and for a lot of people, obviously Kevin Conroy is the voice that you hear or Ephraim Zemblis Jr. is Alfred, or maybe you're a, a Tim Daly or maybe you're George Newbern is, is mm-hmm. when you hear Superman talk. But um, you know, the question is one of those ancillary characters who doesn't have a lot of animation appearances. So uh, for me, even, even if the performance wasn't that great, this would probably still be the voice that I hear, but it just fits the character so well. He delivers mm-hmm. the lines uh, just absolutely incredibly. And uh, he, like his, his performance that he gives plays off of the very serious green arrow. And it's, it's their chemistry together of one being sort of a uh, traditionally, at least more of a believer in government, a believer in trusting the government, more liberal type, that being the green arrow. Right. And, and the question being this guy who, who's more extreme right wing, doesn't trust the government, doesn't trust anybody extremely, you know, distrusting of everything <laughs> uh, to see these two interact and sort of, and sort of go at each other is just, fantastic and the voice casting works incredibly well because jeffrey combs is so he's just so laid back in his delivery but he has a like a force behind what everything that he says that's right and yeah playing off of that as you mentioned with with ken schreiner as green arrow who's this really sort of verbose and over the top and 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 sort of braggadocious character in green arrow and again, is sort of, is, is sort of just constantly exasperated by, by everything the question is saying and implying. And uh, he doesn't even want him to come on the mission with them at first. And, and, and then sort of has, they sort of uh, develop something. And certainly we'll see these guys get to, uh, to play in this sandbox a little bit more in, in later episodes. But yeah, that was, that was a really smart uh, idea. And it's not one I had really thought about, but yes, certainly, especially in the books, you have this sort of, 
the the sort of polar opposites of the poli- of the superhero political spectrum in Green Arrow and question and them sort of being these uh, reluctant buddy cops working with uh, with Kara to solve this mystery uh, it works really well and I also uh, yeah definitely want to want to again say uh, Nicole Tom I think does she's she's been good and and very good as Supergirl for for years now obviously she's been playing her since uh, Superman the animated series at this point so she she knows the character well but I also liked her as Galatea like she doesn't do a lot she doesn't do like a dramatic voice change but she does, I think she does enough to uh, sort of deepen her voice and the way she delivers the lines are, are different enough. And then also I think she has a lot to do because in those dream sequences, she's kind of doing her regular Supergirl voice, but doing these sinister lines that Galatea is saying. So there's kind of like a third voice she's doing in this episode. She has her regular Supergirl her regular Galatea, and then Supergirl as Galatea to do. So she has a lot to do, and I think she does it quite well in this episode. Yeah, she's fantastic. Like you said, having to having to play multiple characters. I think we talked about that back uh, on the the first Bizarro episode where Tim Daly had to pull double duty. And obviously, Bizarro's voice is extremely different once you break it down, especially in the way that he delivers lines and sort of inflections, and certainly the his ultimate sound is very different than what what tim daly's superman sounds like but anytime mm-hmm. that a character has to play multiple versions of the same character it's difficult you look i mean and it's it's amazing to hear some subtle differences you you look at the difference between the bruce wayne from batman animated series the bruce wayne from the new batman adventures obviously it's the same character he's a little bit older and then you have the, the bruce wayne from from batman beyond and kevin conroy's voice performance for all three is very different mm-hmm. and it's but it's still great so it's having to compare between two of them nicole tom's obviously performance here like you said she's a younger version she's older version but then the younger version sort of uh in this dream sequence as the older version yeah really 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 great stuff absolutely and sort of rounding out our caster we have charles napier returning as general hardcastle having voiced uh him in superman the animated series we have sam mcmurray as gilbert hailstrom we have Cree Summer, uh, Max herself, uh, voicing the Britney Spears knockoff, which I appreciated. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, yes, so this is the elephant in the room for me, which is we have Robert Foxworth as the new voice of Professor Hamilton. And I hate him. <laughs> I hate this voice actor. Like, I, it's not fair. He's doing his job. But he doesn't sound anything like Professor Hamilton did on Superman the Animated Series, like not even close. So unless he had like throat cancer and had like his vocal cords like surgically altered between Superman the Animated Series and Justice League, like what this what is this voice? I don't like this voice at all. Would you have ra- rather them gotten Corey Burton to come in and do a just a like Corey Burton voice? Because that's remember they they when Corey Burton comes in and that yeah because I feel like man. yeah he voices the Toy Man and Metallo in in uh, in Hereafter the Justice League episode but yeah yeah I would have preferred that honestly because I feel like Corey Burton would have done a voice closer to what uh to what the uh, the Superman the animated series voice actor not that not that I think that is such a unrecastable role but you need but you need to have someone who at least kind of sounds 
like the person from the previous show if you want me to pretend it's it's the same character also he looks really different so maybe this is like his fraternal twin brother joe (laughs) hamilton (laughs) alexander i believe yeah there you go there you go uh he's just off his stint on broadway and he's (laughs) he's decided to uh to take up the family business of uh creating secret clothes supergirl well you know what we say here on this program liam it's canon until it's proven otherwise there we go absolutely but yes uh so i don't like that (laughs) professor hamilton voice and therefore i gave voice acting a nine out of (laughs) ten i love that this stuck in your cross so bad that you, you prevented you from giving it a perfect score oh that's so good um yeah i i also gave it a nine out of ten i think it's i mean i I didn't have a problem with Professor Hamilton's voice. I thought it was fine. Um, I think I think that obviously we've highlighted uh, the three stars of this episode, and uh, one of my favorite favorite uh, p- lines from this episode actually interacts between the question that Green Arrow and Supergirl, and it's when they're all walking. That the question is kind of just introduced himself and. Uh, they're talking about uh, why uh, Kara could be having these these nightmares. And what does any of this have to do with my dreams? If I'm right, you're part of it. You're going to need my help. I'm going with you. Hold your horses. No one asked for more help. This whole trip might just prove the kids shouldn't eat nachos before bed. Peanut butter sandwiches. How did you? What? Do you go through my trash? Please. I go through everyone's trash. <laughs> delivered just per- just perfectly. <laughs> yes, Jeffrey Combs' delivery on that line is is fantastic because he has like such an era of like oh like he's offended by the question, and then he's like oh but yes yes I did. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a, a, a the other my other favorite line was when they're they're talking about uh, they again Green Arrow comes in with his does everything have have a sinister motive in your world and he says yours too you just don't know it <laughs> yeah so i think that answered everything a little too well does everything have a sinister motive in your world yours too you just don't know it again again just some great great example of showing the dichotomy of those two characters and and how they're sort of sort of oil and water together but they're they're sort of saddled saddled together on this mystery with supergirl yeah they yeah, uh, the, that trio of uh, of Ken Schreiner, uh, Jeffrey Combs, and Nicole Tom are just just fantastic in this episode. I kind of wish we could have seen more of this exact trio uh, in, in action throughout the series. And obviously, all of these characters still have important roles to play later on in the series, but not we don't really get to see just this trio uh, together again. So that's that's, that's that's kind of a bummer. But uh, yeah, that they are they are, those three are great together in this episode. They are. And one last thing, the subtlety and I think the importance of casting somebody that could really pull off this question character is that you don't have the benefit. And it's hard. It's, I mean, it's kind of goofy to say, I think maybe in animation, but because the character doesn't have a face to express <laughs> sort yeah. of a different emotion, you have to have a voice that is unique enough to be able to to emote the expressions called for and do it accurately because if it's done in a poor way, then it's just not going to match up to what, what you're seeing on the screen. So uh, even, even more praise heaped on, on Jeffrey Combs for this. Absolutely. All right, William, that will bring us to our final scores for this week's episode. Totaling everything up for this week, I end up with a final score of 27 out of 40. 
And I am just a tick higher on my final score. I have it at a 29 out of 40. I guess we can get into rewatchability here. Pretty much a much watch because of what it, what it sets up. Obviously, it's continuing threads from Superman and also setting up what will be this giant arc in uh, in later episodes of JLU. So this is an easy uh, two thumbs up. Plus, as as we've been talking about it, it's generally a fun mystery story, and you in- you introduce a new great character in the question and get to see him interact with some of the other all, already established uh, Justice Leaguers in Supergirl and Green Arrow. Yep, it's essential. Got to watch it. Agreed. All right, Liam, let's wrap up this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this week's episode. Don't forget to check us out on social media at DCAU Review. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lots of fun stuff going on there. If you want to chat with Liam, Liam runs our Twitter account. Follow him at DCAU Review. We do a lot of stuff on there that's fun, talking about current and past DCAU, DC Universe stuff, everything that's going on these days. So uh, enjoy that. Follow us there. Follow us on Instagram, if you will, as well. You get clips for upcoming episodes. We got our Flashback Fridays where we cover past episodes. Make sure you're subscribed to us on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're all on there. So uh, do so and uh, and give us the old review on Apple Podcasts. A five-star one would be fantastic. Or if you don't think we're worthy of a five-star podcast or five-star rating, that's okay too. Let us know uh, what we should do better. We love uh, getting some feedback on that. Uh, Liam, we have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, next week, we will be releasing our part two of our DC Directrospective bonus episode so oh, yeah uh, you want to check that out uh, if you haven't listened to part one this is again uh it's it's in the title it's a retrospective of dc direct you know unfortunately the company's coming to a close uh, probably by the end of the year so we wanted to look back on some of our favorite lines some of our favorite figures ever produced by dc direct so we'll be dropping that next week on the podcast feed we will also be coming back of course next week with our next episode of the dcau review standard Uh, in which we will be covering the next episode of Justice League Unlimited, which will be... Look, they can't all be winners. And so next week, we are going with the ever-popular kid stuff. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, um, we'll be interested to see if this one... I would like to predict now, does this go in the bad episode jar? I don't know. Like, I feel like if, if it'll depend on our mood on that day. If we're in a mood for a light comedy story that feels like it could be like a nineteen the nineteen fifties story, maybe maybe we'll we'll be all right with it. But it is not one that ranks very highly in uh, in my in my memory. But uh, hey, like we said, we can't if we just stick to all the big tentpole episodes and these ones that we don't review in order, we're gonna end up with like months full of like just terrible or not very good episodes so we gotta mix them in somewhere folks and we're gonna we're and like i said we're, we always leave ourselves open to be pleasantly surprised so uh fingers crossed as we uh, we look at kids stuff next saturday morning at 10 a.m eastern Saturday. that's right that's right all right well until next week i'm cal and i'm liam and we'll talk to you on the very next episode of the dca review bye bye